Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to be with you as we have no markets on Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but we still have a packed show here today, and we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Coming up, we're going to look at South America's current crop conditions and the impact on the markets with Pedro Deneca of MD Commodities. He'll join us later in the show. We're going to talk with President and CEO of CHS, Jay Deberton, and look at their first quarter earnings as well coming up here in just a little bit but first kicking off the show talking about an industry or part of the ag industry we don't touch on a whole lot the poultry industry with us today christine mccracken senior analyst of animal protein at robo agrifinance christine hope you're doing well great to have you on the show we are a little cold but uh doing it healthy so far this year <laughs> Well, that's important, being healthy to start off the new year. I think we could deal with a little bit of cold weather and just make sure we stay healthy. I would agree with that sentiment. Well, as I mentioned, we're talking the poultry industry. And I know a uh, a new report, the Global Poultry Quarterly uh, for Quarter 1 2023 from Rabobank. And, and just to start us off, I think just in general, as we look at the state of the poultry industry here globally, what does the outlook show us? What are we seeing here as we start off the new year, Christine? Well, it's really a, a tale of two cities. We've got obviously a, a very healthy supply of protein here in the U.S., but uh, maybe globally a, a little bit of a shortfall. And that's really a reflection of some tough economic conditions for producers in some parts of the world. So so just big losses, um, driving lower production, but also the impact of bird flu in a lot of regions, especially Europe, impacting overall supplies of meat. So globally, we're a little short poultry. Here in the U.S., we have a little too much. Well, you mentioned uh, avian influenza, and I wonder, I know that's been an issue uh, for much of 2022. It's been a past issue here around the world and here in the U.S. W would you say that's maybe the biggest factor to watch as we move into this new year? What are your thoughts with, with uh, high path avian influenza and how it's impacting the poultry industry right now? Well, it's, it's been a devastating uh, outbreak. You know, it started obviously uh, about a year ago in February here in the U.S., but it's been spreading around the world uh, throughout Asia, Europe, uh, really hard hit. Um, and that's that's been a huge factor in 22. Um, and it's, it's being spread by wild birds. So there's very few kind of options for the industry in terms of dealing with that, uh, aside from everyday biosecurity. Here in the US, um, a big issue for the layer and the turkey industries, for sure, we're seeing that at the store. But for the broiler industry, it's primarily a trade issue. So if we get it in our flocks, 
uh, here on the broiler side, it really can be disruptive to our exports. And that's that's really what we're watching for 23. Um, there hasn't been a big let up. We've still had uh, cases through, through the winter. Um, we had them all summer, which is unusual. Uh, again, tied back to that that migratory pattern in those wild birds that that is just really tough um, to to control. So uh, a big issue for sure in 22, and we expect it to be an issue again in 23. Well, you mentioned some of the tight supply and some of the issues overseas, Europe, Asia. Uh, but looking here at the U.S., I know the report you, it seems to be a bit of a bit optimistic. We'll say at least for maybe the second half of 2023 for the U.S. Can you talk about that? Explain that a little bit for us. Sure. In terms of you know when we think uh, you'll start to see uh, a slightly better uh, domestic supply, we're we're really thinking about poultry having a, a very strong outlook. Um, not just for supplies. Uh, unfortunately, we're a little early. There's still plenty of pork and beef around. But uh, when we think about uh, how the year might progress, um, you know, you've talked on on here uh, about the big drop in in beef supplies coming uh, later in this year and into mm -hmm. uh, 24. Uh, 25, you know, that's a real opportunity for the broiler industry. So as I think through the outlook for uh, U.S. profitability and, and what might happen with markets, I think we'll get it back in balance uh, mid-year. Um, I think uh, we just have a little too much chicken here uh, short term, but I, I'm fairly optimistic in terms of uh, the market prospects for chicken specifically uh, in the second half and, and for turkey. Uh, and eggs to come back to nor kind of normal ranges uh, when we think about uh, the next holiday season. So optimistic, but there's a lot we don't know at this point. Well, and you mentioned it there and you mentioned it earlier as well, the prices at the grocery store for things like eggs. And we see just the competition between poultry, pork, beef, turkey, et cetera, at the meat case. I know that's something that is a talking point amongst a lot of consumers right now in the U.S. And some of it, you know, I see the different social media posts or whatnot or hear people at the store, the sticker shock that they see when they're going to say buy a dozen eggs and the prices double, triple what it was just a few months ago, Christine. It's it's really a bit of a sticker shock right now. Yeah, well, and a lot of that is on a lag, right? So we had tight supplies of eggs going into the holiday baking season. Uh, and, and then we... We sold a lot of eggs, so we're 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 tight, short run, but the prices are already coming down. Uh, that's the good news, uh, and and you'll start to see that at the store, and that'll get passed along pretty quickly. Um, you know, I I don't necessarily see any big uh, declines in uh, in uh, overall prices, maybe until we get past the Easter holiday. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you think through uh, what we're seeing, uh, you know, in terms of demand for, for that holiday. But, you know, I think that I'm pretty optimistic that we'll kind of come back to normal as long as we don't continue to lose a lot of production. Well, Christine, as you look at this report uh, on the on the poultry industry here from Rumble Bank, anything else stand out to you that you want to mention that that you guys found in that report here as we start off the year? Yeah, you know, I think that there's some some interesting uh, data points around uh, tra global demand for chicken. If you think through uh, global supplies of protein, uh, you know, not just here in the U.S., we're starting to see that decline in beef uh, supply, but but 
big declines in pork production in Europe. Uh, they were down almost 20% last year. Uh, you know, China is obviously a, a big driver of, of global trade and, and they're taking a record amount of poultry uh, into in that country this year. Record uh, exports from the US, in fact, they eat a lot of chicken paws, almost a billion dollars worth of chicken paws. So some things to be optimistic about when we think about poultry as a good, a low cost protein um, and, uh, and how it might play in, in 2023. I think that there'll be a lot of support uh, for the industry and that helps you know everyone in the meat case if you have less available um, supplies domestically. Well, definitely a lot of things to consider. I know folks can find more details online, research.robobank.com. They could read through the full report. And with that, we appreciate the time. Christine McCracken with Robo AgriFinance. Thanks for joining us today. We'll uh, get you back on the show again soon. Great. Thanks. Up next, Jay Deberton, president and CEO of CHS. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now, pleased to have on with us, Jay Depperton, President and CEO of CHS Incorporated. Jay, always a pleasure. Happy New Year to you, sir. I hope you're doing well. Happy New Year to you, Jesse, on a fine winter day. Yes, definitely a fine winter day to talk about the quarter one earnings for chs and you know looking at uh, strong global demand once again here jay and overall looks like uh, first quarter earnings for chs looking pretty robust let's uh, let's dive in and give us some of the headline takeaways you have with the first quarter earnings report jay sure uh jesse so we're, yeah we are reporting record uh, record earnings for uh, for the company for our first quarter results at, at about 783 million dollars uh, for just the quarter Revenues of just under $13 billion, um, revenues up about 17% uh, quarter on quarter. Uh, and as we look across across CHS, Jesse, um, you know, good balance ac across the portfolio in terms of where the earnings came from. Energy was in at about $400 million of, of earnings. Um, really strong quarter for energy, uh, just continues to rebound well from COVID and other issues around the world. Um, and and, and nice, nice returns there. And in our egg platform, which is where our processing, our grain handling business, our retail operations um, uh, and, and agronomy operations lay uh, about $287 million worth of earnings uh, within, within that platform. So really good uh, movement in, in terms of demand across the world uh, for, uh, you know, frankly, for, for the egg commodities that, that our owners produce. And uh, really nice to see that strong global demand. In our nitrogen production segment, we had earnings about $97 million. That's, uh, that's our joint venture we have with CF Industries, where we uh, actually have a manufacturing joint venture with CF Industries around nitrogen. And um, and as, as, as you know, and as your listeners know, um, high fertilizer prices um, and they are, are translating into high earnings off, off that segment. The benefit uh, of doing business with CHS and a cooperative is uh, when that segment makes good money and, and you buy from CHS, you get you get to participate in that. So uh, so happy to happy to see that. And then finally in our in our subsidiaries, uh, nice continued strength within 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 that performance as well. So 
bringing that all together, uh, about $780 million worth of uh, earnings just for the quarter. Well, Jay, you mentioned the energy side, and it seemed like you know, significant uh, improvements on that energy segment. And you alluded to global demand and and strong demand here as well in the uh, in rural America. I mean, just looking at this energy sector as a whole, what what stands out to you as to why we saw a big improvement and a big rebound here uh, in this first quarter? Well, a couple things uh, I, I point to, Jesse. You know, when when COVID really came in, we did see you know some. Um, manufacturers, refiners uh, closed down or changed their operations uh, away from just the gasoline and diesel fuel that they, they produced. And that's that's creeping up supply just, just a bit. Uh, and then demands just kind of came back strong uh, here, here, here in the U.S. And, um, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to, snu- you know, to snug things back, um, back up when we were, frankly, so long uh, during, during the time of COVID when people just didn't drive and, and demands uh, globally as well as in the United States were, 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 just, were just soft. You know, in addition, we are a big uh, buyer of Canadian crude oil. Um, mm-hmm. we, we only buy Canadian crude oil and U.S. produced crude oil for our refineries. And... Um, and 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 some some of the trading opportunities within the crate, uh, Canadian crude oil provided uh, earnings for us that uh, that we were we were able to enjoy as well. Well, also, you know, you mentioned the fertilizer side, the nitrogen production with CF Nitrogen, uh, CF Industries. Uh, you know, I think about how fertilizer prices have ebbed and flowed a little bit. We've come off those highs recently, but still strong demand. And just thinking about as farmers get ready to plant here this spring in the U.S high input costs, those high fertilizer costs, they're still out there. What's your thoughts a little bit more in this uh, fertilizer sector as we as we look ahead here and move out of quarter one, shift into quarter two? Well, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll start at the offset, uh, Jesse. I'm not going to go out on a limb to say what future prices are going to be because, you know, uh, frankly, we, there's just so many dynamics going on around the world. It's very, mm-hmm. very difficult uh, to kind of f- forecast what, what they would what they would be, I, I guess. What we're saying to, uh, to 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 producers is, we have the fertilizer today. We will have it in the in in, in the spring, but we know our pricing and 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 so forth today. Um, there's just a lot of variables between now and when people hit the fields that um, they could go a number of different ways. And um, you know, that's everything from river conditions and high ri- high water or or mm-hmm. not. Uh, global supply of fertilizer, particularly in parts of the world where natural grass prices are so significantly higher than they are here in the U.S. and, and do they produce as much? Um, and 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 all those kinds, those types of variables really create questions. I think going um, going forward in terms of what do we think pricing uh, pricing is going to be? And so people are frankly, I think, uh, playing it a little closer to the vest. They're taking product in, I think, more continually. Um, just just knowing, okay, I know what the circumstances are today. I can see what the forward prices are, and I can make some marketing decisions as well as some cost of input decisions. Jay, some other news I want to touch on with you as well. I know CHS announcing their expansion of uh, a joint venture, Temco LLC, and uh, adding in a Cargill-owned export grain terminal in Houston, Texas. Talk a little bit about this and some of the expansion of uh, Temco here a little bit. Can you give us some background on it, Jay? Yeah, I sure can. We have a, a long-standing joint venture with 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 Cargill. Um, they've been uh, 
for 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 more than a decade just a really strong partner for for with CHS and 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 we do really well together i think uh, I, I think a lot of the team over over at cargill um essentially jesse you know you, th you think about export avenues out of the united states for grain the pacific northwest is a large one the new orleans area is a large one and so is what we call the center gulf um, in the houston area is, is is a large one at chs we had strong export capabilities in the pacific northwest and in the new orleans area and and this venture uh this you know expanded venture with cargill and, and tempco really allows that center gulf export avenue to be opened up wider uh with, with, with chs so the benefit that's that's kind of the strategic reason for it. The benefit for the people that own us is for those uh, grain uh, customers of CHS whose grain is really targeted for that part of the export corridor. Now we have that door and we have that capability to uh, to help them do it. So it's it's good for the Tempco uh, venture because it's more volume through an asset and um, and it's good for our owners in that we have now that that dedicated facility that can export uh, for the grain that is aimed at that export avenue. Well, Jay, I think overall, whether we're talking the income generated or talking joint ventures that CHS has, everything under the umbrella, that all comes back to that cooperative model you guys have. Uh, I, I think uh, farmer uh, owners, cooperative members just got to be happy with uh, everything they're seeing and hearing right now from CHS. We're, we're working hard at it. We're working hard at, at providing value for the people that own us and 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 providing and, uh, you know, food for customers around the world. And um, and that's what we're about. That's absolutely what we're about. And we work hard uh, at that. It's not an easy business, um, but we work hard at it. And uh, and we're just honored to um, to have our 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 part of, of helping people eat around the world. Well, I know folks can see the first quarter earnings and more on the uh, Temco announcement on AmericanAgNetwork.com. With that, Jay Deberton, President, CEO, CHS. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Jesse. And again, always a pleasure to talk with Jay Deberton, President and CEO of CHS, joining us here on the program today. Want to look uh, here before we head to the break as well. I know coming up, we're going to have a discussion with uh, Pedro Deneca of MD Commodities, talking about South America's crop situation and looking at their weather. Want to run through the closing numbers that we saw on Friday's trade, just to give you uh, an idea where the trade sits now as we get ready to resume trading on Tuesday. March corn. Four higher on Friday, 675. July quarter up two and a quarter, 663 at three quarters. Soybeans for March up nine and a quarter Friday, 1527 at three quarters. July was up six and a half at 1525. March bean meal down five dollars a ton, 476.30. March bean oil was down 19 points at 6306. March Chicago wheat was one higher, 743 at three quarters. July that was up a half or down a half penny, excuse me, 753 at three quarters. March Kansas City wheat was eight and three quarters higher, 843 and three quarters spring wheat march unchanged at 912 and a quarter Meantime, live cattle February 17 higher, 157.72. April live cattle down two on Friday, 160.90. Feeder cattle January down 87, 181.25. March down 140, 182.87. And in hogs February down 10, 78.65. April hogs were 10 higher, 87.27 on Friday. Now, it was rather impressive that the live cattle contracts were able to round out Friday's market slightly higher, despite the fact that cash cattle traded $1 to $2 lower on the week. Feeder cattle 
cattle market, unfortunately, just can't say the same. Higher corn prices uh, kept the market depressed, as I mentioned those numbers there. Lean hogs did close mostly higher as pork cutout values closed higher as well. Hog prices were lower on the uh, daily direct afternoon hog report, down 80 cents with a weighted average of 71.80 on Friday. And we saw that pork cutout value uh, on the day Friday as well. That was up to 31 at 81.64. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about the South American crop situation. Now that we have all the different numbers out from the trade, USDA's updated numbers, the Buenos Aires Exchange, the Rosario Grain Exchange numbers, Pedro Deneca, founder and partner of MD Commodities, he's got his boots on the ground in South America, in Brazil. We're going to talk to him about the markets and the South American crop situation situation coming up next back with more market talk on the way right after this why are more people heating their homes with fs propane because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do when it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. Again, no markets on Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the U.S. And we want to take a look at what's going on in South America. Now that we got the USDA reports out last week and we're continuing to watch the drought concerns in Argentina, the record crop that is being predicted in Brazil. Here to uh, explain what's going on in South America and try to give us an idea and paint the picture for us, a little bit of a boots-on-the-ground perspective, Pedro Deneca, founder and partner of MD Commodities, is with us. And Pedro, thanks so much for joining us on Market Talk. Appreciate you being here, and welcome into the show, sir. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It's a pleasure being here with you guys, man. Hey, let's jump right in, Pedro. I, I know we have plenty to talk about and cover here today. Looking at now, we have USDA numbers that have come out. We have the Rosario Grain Exchange numbers, Buenos Aires numbers, everything out in front of us here. Really looking at the situation in South America. I know we hear a lot about the issues in Argentina, yet Brazil looking fairly good still. So let's just start overall assessment of the numbers that we've seen do you agree with those numbers especially maybe starting argentina are we seeing these issues down there and do those numbers correctly reflect the issues that we are or aren't seeing in argentina right now absolutely listen uh well just to start out a, a very good friend of mine we were talking markets uh this was thursday night or actually wednesday night and uh he actually told me pedro the argentinian weather is the the brazilian farmer's best friend you know, meaning uh, the situation that's happened in Argentina. So starting from that point, uh, to answer your question directly, uh, the, the, the issues are serious. I mean, we, unfortunately, Argentina is now going on a third year of, of very challenging conditions. Um, now, we saw the Rosario Exchange come out with 37 millimetric tons. One thing that we must uh, put in perspective, the Rosario Exchange is made up mostly of producers producers uh are gonna want price to go up prices to go up so 
uh, the Rosario Exchange is known for being a little bit pessimistic, uh, exaggerating a little bit on their estimates. Okay, so do we believe the crop is 37 millimetric tons today? No, we believe the crop is much closer to, say, 39 to 42 millimetric tons, especially with the rains that have uh, have uh, arrived here in the last uh, couple of weeks, especially in the last week or so, and forecasts are relatively favorable for a decent part of Argentina. Now, that mm -hmm. being said, USDA came out, came out with that 45 number. We believe there's still room to the downside. So the USDA was cautious, and we understand that step-by-step -step approach that the USDA chose to take. Uh, so we're going to see another reduction on a future USDA report. I don't know if it's going to be on the February report or the March report, but we believe the Argentina crop is going to uh, finish somewhere around 40 millimetric tons. If that number is 38, if that number is 42, uh, weather for the next 45 days are going to tell us. Because you got to remember, uh, they are just now finishing planting. You know, so a lot of the early planted soybeans, those are a mess. And a lot of those producers might not even replant. You know, we're going to have some area that's not going to be replanted. So you're going to go from a potential of 50 millimetric tons, uh, 44 millimetric tons last year, to call it, let's just, use, let's just use a 40 millimetric ton number today. Okay, that's a good working number. But then there's a point that, that I need to make for you guys that are, uh, you know, listening in and tuning in. Guys, last year Argentina was 44. This year, let's just say they're going to be 40. And if you want to be, let's go even further down. Let's use the Rosario Exchange as 37. If we use that number, that's a reduction of 7 million metric tons in production compared to last year with Argentina. Brazil, on the other hand, with the rains arriving in Rio Grande do Sul, which is the third largest producing state in Brazil, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the southernmost state, and it's the state that uh, starts their planting the latest. So they have a very similar cycle to Uruguay and Argentina, okay? So they're just now finishing planting, and the rains have arrived in a very timely manner after a few dry weeks over there. The Brazil crop is now consolidating somewhere around 150 millimetric tons, Jesse. If that number is going to be 148, if that number is going to be 154, we're going to need another 30 to 45 days to really understand what the potential is. But the, the point is the crop is going to be consolidated around 150 millimetric tons. That's 23 million metric tons higher than last wow. year, right? So think about it. Should we really be seeing at $15 beans? When Argentina is losing seven, okay, I get it. But the world's largest exporter by far being Brazil, it's going to gain 23 millimetric tons, Jesse. So it's the market right now is not necessarily trading on fundamentals. You know, everybody wants to talk about, oh, meal business and oil business coming mm -hmm. to the U.S. Guys, it's not as clear cut as that. Argentina is already importing some Brazilian beans. Argentina is going to crush. And, it, and if at the end, these rains that are now arriving, settles the crop down around 40 42 millimetric tons 41 millimetric tons they're going to get plenty to crush now argentina has issues of their own okay jesse so yep. uh unfortunately we have some political economic issues there as well but the, the bottom line here is that we seem to be pretty rich value right here you know with meal where it's at with beans where it's at considering that brazil is about to literally flood the market with soybeans so yeah i think $15 beans in the U.S. I know that's been this psychological area that we've just been, you know, bumping up against, bumping up against, and finally broke through after the USDA report to it. But to me, it sounds like 
we're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak, when these Brazilian supplies, this big crop comes online. So That's it would right. seem like the the long-term potential here with with futures in the U.S. is going to be to the downside, Pedro. It just depends on when it happens, possibly. It does, Jesse. And I and I catch some flags sometimes. Oh, Pedro, you're a perma bear. And I, and I said, no, it's not that I'm a perma bear. It's a, the the my main clients are producers. But mm -hmm. the vast majority, we have some funds, you know, some guys in the industry, but the majority of our clients are producers here in Brazil specifically. And our job is to manage their risk. And when we see fundamentals that we're seeing, even though the market is operating outside of those fundamentals, and by the way, they can keep operating outside of those, fund of those fundamentals for much longer. Right. We, we're not sitting here telling them that, hey, beans cannot go to 16. We're simply saying, guys, listen, we don't have the supply and demand story to go to $16. Maybe we go for other reasons, Jesse, but it's not going to be because of a supply and demand story. So we need to understand that. And then how do we manage risk? And when we look in the second half of this year, Jesse, I want to say something right now. I don't know if the listeners are going to like what I'm about to say. But listen, with Brazil flooding the market right now with 150 million metric tons of beans, that means that Brazil is going to export close to 95 million metric tons up from 77 last year. That's 18 million metric tons in gains, okay, in exports alone, which means that U.S. exports are going to suffer. So we're actually, we believe we saw the lowest carryout number for the U.S. for 22, 23. And we believe 23, 24, if all of a sudden we have an El Nino, El Nino usually historically means pretty decent crops in the U.S. And if the crops are decent in the U.S., even if we don't get a growth in soybean area, we could easily be looking at $11 beans November 23 in the second half of this year, easily, right? So it's, and again, guys, you know that funds, when they participate, Mm -hmm. uh, they exaggerate prices on the upside, but they also exaggerate prices on the downside. And we all know that. And so what happens all of a sudden if these funds, you know, inflation is coming down. We believe inflation has stopped. So yep. the inflation trade all of a sudden is dead in the second half of this year. They lose their spark towards commodities. And these funds decide to pile on shorts if the weather contributes. There's a lot of ifs that need to happen yep. until that time. But I think we need to consider those ifs. It just seems to me that everybody's sort of caught numb to these prices right now. And they believe that, hey, you know what? $15, $14 is the new base, and we're just going to keep going up from here. We don't have the demand for that. We simply don't have the demand for that. We're producing a lot more than we are uh, uh, consuming, right? And people, mm -hmm. oh, but China's going to buy more. Guys, China has been stuck buying between 82 and 100 million metric tons importing since 2016, Jesse, right? And so go back and look what the world used to produce in 2016. We're yep. producing a lot more. So it, look, the bottom line here, your point is well taken, and I agree. I think we need to at least consider a scenario where second half of 23, we see much, much lower prices. Could we see higher prices? Yes. But in our view, it's not going to be due to demand. It would be due to some kind of weather issue in the United States. Well, again, a lot of things to consider there. We are having a conversation with Pedro Deneca, founder partner of MD Commodities, talking about South America. We're going to talk more about the corn crop. What's the potential in Brazil? What are we looking at for the concerns in Argentina? I know some of the same concerns we have with soybeans in Argentina we are having with the corn crop as well. So we're going to continue our conversation here coming up after the break. Want to look as well at the uh, end of the week last week in the U.S. Uh, 
on our futures trade. March corn closed up 21 cents for the week. July corn was up 15 and a half cents. March soybeans were up 35 and a quarter cents for the week, with July beans up 23 and a quarter cents. March Kansas City wheat was up 11 and three quarter cents. March Chicago wheat up a quarter penny, and March Minneapolis wheat was up 10 and a half cents for the week last week. We'll continue with Pedro Deneca coming up after the break. Back with more markets are on the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Jesse Allen with you in studio as we continue our conversation talking about what's going on in South America with their growing season and how it relates to the markets. Pedro Deneca, founder and partner, MD Commodities, is our guest today here on Market Talk. Let's talk corn a little bit as you uh, look at the corn conditions currently in South America and then also think about the safrita crop that is going to be coming up as well. What are your thoughts in this corn market as things stand right now, Pedro? Uh, pretty similar story, you know, Jesse. And, and we need to make a point. Uh, I hear a lot, a lot of folks saying this. You know, actually, I started in July uh, on Twitter at PhD Chicago. I started posting some data, and I said, "Look, at the time, the USDA was estimating corn exports for 22-23 around 2.3 billion bushels." And I made a very good point back then. I said, "Guys." Please be careful. Corn exports are going to be three to 400 million bushels below where the USDA is. And the reason I said that is because Brazil produced a very good safrinha, and Brazil and Argentina had the most competitive corn in the second half of 22. Well, sure enough, that's exactly what has happened. And we believe corn exports are going to end 22, 23 in the US, somewhere between 1.8 and 1.9 billion bushels. Now, I hear a lot of folks saying, well, but if Safrinha doesn't go well in Brazil, the U.S. is going to sell more. I agree partially. The U.S. is going to sell more for 23-24, not for 22-23. Because even if Brazil has an issue with Safrinha, Brazil is still going to harvest the Safrinha around July, June, mm -hmm. July. And so you have a very small window for U.S. exports to really catch up on the old crop slot. So... An issue with safrinha crop in Brazil, if it does happen, means more optimistic exports for 23, 24 for the U.S., but not necessarily for 22, 23. So that's a point I wanted to make on exports. In uh, regarding, you know, the corn production, USDA is at 125, 126 right now for safrinha, uh, not for safrinha, for total corn production in Brazil. We do not argue with that number at all. We think that's a pretty reasonable number. Uh, the range should be somewhere between 123 and 130 right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a potential for it to be a little bit higher than 130 for a uh, total crop, but we're going to need a lot of help from the weather, uh, not just during the development of the crop, but also now during harvest of soybeans and planting of corn that's taking place already in Brazil. So, um, you know, Argentina is going to have a, a big issue with their corn crop. You know, corn crop that um, could be easily 55, 60 millimetric tons is probably going to be somewhere between 40 and 45. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, you got to remember, that's still 40 to 45 million metric tons in the market from an origin that's cheaper than the United States and cheaper than Brazil, right? So yep. again, competition for corn exports is very, very tough out there. Uh, we believe the U.S. is going to pick up better numbers here in the next few months, right? Because Brazil shifts the key to soybeans, uh, but it doesn't mean that Brazil is going to altogether stop. And one more point, Brazil has already started shipping corn to China from the deal that was signed yep last year and we said it last year 
It wasn't going to be impactful for, uh, impactful for 22, but it's definitely going to be impactful from 2023 going forward. And that means lost exports by the United States. Well, and that shifting of the deck chair, so to speak, I know the Brazil-China situation, as you just mentioned, that has been talked about quite a bit. I noticed a report as well, and maybe you've heard this too, maybe not, about some Brazil corn maybe going to Mexico, which the U.S.-Mexico issues right now over GMO corn. I wonder if that could become more of a story as well to watch in the markets, Pedro. That's a great point, Jesse. That's a great, great point. And absolutely, it could. Again, the market always finds a way. The market is going to find the most efficient the, uh, route, and, you know, the cheapest, most efficient way to get business. And that's the beauty of capitalism, right? And so when we get to that point, we got to understand that now over 50% of Brazilian corn exports get out of Brazil through the northern arcs, through the very northern uh, point of Brazil. And that northern arc has developed tremendously over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, uh, Brazil used to export very little corn. And of the corn that was exported, you know, less than a fourth was, uh, was exported through the Northern Arc. Now we're looking at over half of corn exported. And by the way, we really believe that Brazil within the next year or two is going to surpass the United States in corn exports as well. And, and guys, I want to make something clear. I love the United States. I live in the United States. You know, my, my, my wife's American. My kids are born there. The United States is home for me as well. I don't say the things I'm saying, you know, to dog United States agriculture or anything like that. No, much to the contrary. I believe that if I do a good job being as transparent as possible with the U.S. farmer, letting them understand what the landscape looks like, they're going to be much more in tune and ready to manage their risk much more appropriately than they would be if they don't understand what's happening in South America, specifically in Brazil. And that's a great point you make there. And before I let you go, Pedro, any final thoughts, anything else you want to reiterate before we run out of time today? No, sir. I think this has been, been a great, great chat, Jesse. Thanks yeah. for having me on. I think we're touching a lot, a lot of great points here. Uh, just stay tuned, guys, and understand that, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, the Uber – uh, high prices, you know, what that happened in 2000, especially starting the second half of 2020, 21 and 22. They might not be here to stay for much longer unless we have a weather issue. And if we have good production of safrinha, all of a sudden decent production in the U.S., second half of this year, corn prices and bean prices could look a lot different than they look right now. And I mean that to the downside, unfortunately. But if you are ready, if the producer is ready and manage their risk, they're going to be just fine. A lot of things to consider. We appreciate the insight. Founder and partner, MD Commodities, Pedro Deneca. Thanks for joining us. We'll get you back on the show again real soon, sir. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Jesse. And again, appreciate his time and insight. Pedro Deneca, founder, partner, MD Commodities. Uh, thanks to him for joining us here today on Market Talk. Also, thanks to Jay Debertson, president and CEO of CHS Incorporated, joining us earlier in the show. And also, Christine McCracken with Robo AgriFinance talking about their new poultry report as well. Great stuff uh, from all three of our guests here today on the program. Again, no markets on Monday with the Martin Luther King Jr. Junior Day holiday in the U.S. We'll get back to trading as we get into Tuesday. We'll see what the market reaction looks like here as we continue to work through the month of January. And now we got those pivotal USDA reports behind us. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for listening in to Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. 
when it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.